Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Hi, I'm Laura Lavoir, and this is Song Cycle, the official podcast of Cincinnati Song Initiative where we talk everything art song, its history, its creation, its performance, and its ability to tell stories that connect communities. In this episode, I get to talk to myself. That is to say, it's just me today. And I'm gonna talk about art song. What else? I talk a little bit about the history and scope of this incredible art form, what makes art song unique from other musical forms, and how it's developed into what we know today. All right, friends. So I have to tell you why this episode first came to be. I've been shamelessly plugging this podcast to my friends and family and colleagues. And so the other night at dinner, I accosted my sister and asked whether or not she had been listening to the podcast since a few episodes had already come out already. I figured, of course, she would be listening. And then she told me that, no, she hadn't been listening because she didn't know what an art song was. And needless to say, I was incredulous. I told her that was the whole point of the podcast. I said, this is what I do. This is what I talk about. This is what I love. How could you not know what an art song is? And how could you not listen to my podcast? What kind of sister are you? But then I came to realize that as we've been going through this show and working through this podcast, we never actually stopped to take a moment to actually talk about what art song is. We just kind of dove right into those conversations. And so we're going to take a step back and ask the question, what is an art song anyway? We have a lovely bunch of definitions on the CSI website. So if you want to go ahead and check those out, you're more than welcome to. CincinnatiSongInitiative.org. But today I want to take a closer look at art song and just give you some things to think about. Let's get started. First, I want to talk a little bit about some of art song's history. Now, as someone who is pursuing a doctorate in music, I like to think I know a few things about art song. As someone who works for an art song organization, I like to think that I know some stuff. This is something that I love to learn about, and I really want to take a deeper dive into the history of this art form and where it all started. So I'm going to give you kind of a, a brief history of art song here. Essentially, art song started with a bunch of wandering dudes 
they found poetry that they liked, or they created their own. And they had some kind of stringed instrument or accompanying instrument, and they would just wander around and make up songs. During those times, we would call them troubadours, trouvères, bards, wandering minstrels, whatever title you want to give them. Primarily around Europe, these guys were walking around setting music and text together. Today, it's not much different than the buskers you see in Central Park or singer-songwriters that you hear on the radio. Maybe not so much the pop singers, but the people who actually, you know, play an instrument to their texts that they create. So these guys were wandering around singing of ancient heroes and myths and legends and great warriors and knights and noble love, all while playing on their lute. And someone thought, hey, this is pretty snazzy. We can, we can develop this. And that's really where this whole concept of song and classically inspired song came to be. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe art song is. This is my definition. And for those of you who have listened to all the episodes of the podcast so far, you will know that everyone has something slightly different to say about what art song is. Some people say that it is poetry set to music. Some people say that art song is texts set to music. Some people say art song is anything that involves a singer and a pianist. Let me give you my definition of art song. I believe that art song is text set to music that is expressed in a way that invites the listener into the world the singer is bringing to life. It's not that the singer is putting on a representation of something. It is the singer inviting the listener into the world to experience that world from their perspective. It allows for much more interpretation in that regard from our audience. I will continue to talk about my definition more as we go through the podcast, but I just wanted you to have that in your mind as we go through these various facets of art song so that you know where I'm coming from in terms of my own definition. Let's keep going. So over the course of the last, oh, five, six hundred years, that art song really has been in development from these wandering bards and minstrels to what we have now as a very sophisticated art form. Let's talk a little bit about some of the really standout composers that have come throughout the wide and varied history of art song. Now, I am by no means going to cover all of the composers. There are so many. Art song is truly one of those things that is native to all corners of the earth. Everyone has their own version of it. Everyone has their own myths and legends that they sing with instrumentation. But I want to talk a little bit about classical Western art song, just for a little bit, just to give you an idea of the, the timeline we're working with here. And so I think it's really important, and I would be remiss if I didn't start with Franz Schubert. So Schubert really was kind of the forefather of classical art song. He found great poetry that he not only set with technical prowess, but he developed a way of expressing the text, not just through the text's musical setting, but through how the piano would reflect on what the text was saying. 
So it's important to note that Schubert, who composed primarily in the 19th century, he was kind of the the forefather. Yes, there were some composers who came before him, but I really think that that Schubert put art song on the map. In this case, German leader, um, that's the, the German term for art song, but Schubert really put art song in and of itself on the map and just started to develop it into an art form of its own accord. Schubert really did pick some of the greatest poets of his time and did justice to their poetry. So I'm not just talking about like, oh, he wrote a four chord song under Goethe's poetry. He took such a deep dive into the poetry in and of itself and really started a tradition of characterizing musically what happened in the poetry. This isn't just, oh, it's sad, therefore it's in minor, or oh, this is about love, therefore it's this very florid vocal passage. He found ways to bring the text to musical life. Then you have someone like Schumann, who came after Schubert, who took it another step further. And he didn't just set great poetry with great music. Schumann was a prolific pianist. And for a lot of his early part of his career was like, you know what, art song seems floofy. I'm not interested in this. I don't want to write art song. I want to be a pianist. That's what I want to do. And, well, one thing led to another. He met a girl and he was like, well, I have this outpouring of musical inspiration and poetry and song are really the only way that I know how to express this. Hence, Schumann's later year happened. He composed an exorbitant amount of songs in one year. It was a feat of mania and mastery. And Schumann, like I said, took what Schubert did, but one step further. He didn't just represent the emotions and characters within a poetic work. He took emotion and mental state, philosophy, and sort of these metaphysical experiences and imbued them into his music, which no composer had done up until that point, or at least not as successfully as Schumann had. So it's worth just taking a moment to think about how these composers didn't just put text and music together. They didn't just sit down with GarageBand and create a loop and sing some words and add some auto-tune. They took the time to craft music that matched and elevated, in some instances, I'm looking at you, Brahms, elevated the poetry so that it became an even more perfect union of art. Now we're going to hop over a little bit over to France. So what Schubert and Schumann did was amazing and groundbreaking and so exciting. People were able to perform these amazing songs with elevated poetry in their homes and impress their friends and have fancy dinner parties where people could show off their vocal abilities and their piano skills. It really was all the rage. It was very exciting. This is what people did before Netflix, I guess. But France said, no, you guys can't have all the fun. So they took their own turn at art song development. And some of the big names in that part of the world, and again, this is by no means comprehensive, but some of the ones who are particularly important is you have people like Gabriel Fauré, Claude Debussy, Maurice Ravel, Francis Poulenc, a bunch of others. 
But it's worth talking about as art song developed that these composers really found a way to hone a new art form, really forge something that was beyond what Schubert had originally conceived as thoughtful music with beautiful poetry. So you had some some composers who really just cared about what kind of text they said. You know, obviously they wanted to create beautiful music that supported that text, but really the text was paramount. People like that would be Debussy and Hugo Wolf. That's not to say that their music in and of itself isn't beautiful and thoughtful and supports the text, but they looked at the text and said, okay, this is the important bit. They looked at the poetry and said, this is what needs to be expressed. My music must utterly and unequivocally express what is in the text. And it has to be done so absolutely perfectly. And they did that very successfully. But on the other side of that, so we just talked about people who really cared about the text. You have some people who really cared about the music, who cared about the warm wash of harmony and structure and tonality that just wash over you when you experience art songs. The first two people that come to mind for me in that are Johannes Brahms and Maurice Ravel. It's not that they set bad texts. Well, hmm, that's debatable about Brahms. He even admitted that his texts weren't always the best. But they cared so much about the musical experience. And I think about something like Ravel's Scheherazade. It's a gorgeous piece of work. The poetry, however, is not really poetry so much as it is prose. It's tales taken from A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. But Ravel manages to create this incredible sound world which supports the text in an indescribably beautiful and intoxicating way. So that's also something to think about is you have these composers on one side who the text is paramount. And then you have composers on the other side where the musical experience, the musical expression, the orchestration, that side of things is paramount. And then you have a whole bunch of composers who fit right in the middle of all of that. Go listen to some of this music because I think that you have an opportunity here to draw these opinions for yourself. And that's something to think about as we kind of go through this discussion of art song. Continuing on. I want to talk about the components of art song. Really, you have text, musical setting, and instrumentation, which kind of falls under musical setting. I've had a lot, a lot of conversations with people where it's like, oh, art song has to be poetry sung by a singer with a pianist in a recital hall. It has to be in X, Y, or Z language. Now, I want to dispel a few of these myths, clarify a few things, and talk about what's actually important to me. Poetry text, whatever the words are for a song are very important because those are what I express as a singer. That is how I invite you, the listener, into my world. That's how I communicate with you. Now, that being said, it's not always poetry that's set in art song. I just mentioned Maurice Ravel. Sometimes it's stories. Sometimes it's letters. Sometimes it's stream of consciousness. It's not always poetry. But I will argue, I will argue that if you think about poetry as not just rhyming couplets or as Shakespearean sonnets, but poetry as the perfect words at the perfect time, I would say it's all poetry because art song is the perfect words at the perfect time set perfectly to music. The other components I mentioned, 
the musical setting and the instrumentation. Now, if you talk to many people, they'll say musical setting, well, should be in the classical style. Well, what the heck does that mean? Okay, so let's break down classical style. That means um, maybe 4-4 four, four time. If you're feeling fancy, we could do a 3-4 or a 6-8, you know, get some dance rhythms in there. There's generally some type of structural function in the harmony. Harmonic progressions can generally be charted from a tonic to a dominant, or there's some kind of harmonic climax before a cadence at the end. Okay, so as y'all can tell, I'm a, I am a singer, I'm not a theorist. I think it's important to note that when I say in the classical style, I don't mean in the popular style. And I mean that in contemporary terms. I mentioned earlier that Schubert didn't sit down with, I say I said a four chord song earlier, I think I was remiss. I don't even think most songs nowadays have four chords. He didn't sit down with a rote set of chords or harmonic progressions and a loop. He took the time to craft thoughtful musical settings for the text. And I think that's what we need to recognize when we say in the classical style, is that there is craft in the melodies and the instrumentation and the supporting accompaniment and harmonies that support the text and that they work together symbiotically, that they represent each other or feed each other in some way beyond just what we hear kind of in popular music on the radio now. I shouldn't even say on the radio. Do people even listen to the radio anymore? I know I do. Anyway, what people listen to on Spotify. We'll say that. So it's worth thinking about the musical setting as classical in the sense that there is craft. I will finally go on to talk about the instrumentation. Again, you talk to a lot of people and they say, well, art song, it has to be a singer and a pianist. I am going to argue against that. If I stand by my definition of art song, of, you know, text and music, perfect text at the perfect time, set to music perfectly, that invites the audience in. I think you can do that very successfully beyond the instrumentation of a singer and a pianist. I will say that I do have limitations on that. I think for it to be art song, it should be one person because I think the story, the element of storytelling is very important here. And generally, if you think about storytelling sort of in its oldest sense, it's one person talking to a group of people. So I think I would keep it at one singer, but the instrumentation that is the accompanying or collaborative artists that work with the singer can be as vast and as varied as from a pianist to a symphonic orchestra, which is the case in art song. But the intimacy that I crave and I think is absolutely essential and unalienable from art song, that intimacy comes from the storytelling of the singer. I think that intimacy can be achieved from a pianist and a singer performing Schubert's Nacht und Träume to the most bombastic and sweeping orchestral setting of Strauss's Cecilia. It is possible to create that intimacy no matter what the instrumentation. So I think that's worth thinking about too, is that art song doesn't always have to be a singer and a pianist performing music that is written in the classical style. I think we can expand those definitions just a little bit. Which, since I just mentioned intimacy, I do want to talk about the performance aspects of art song. And I have talked to a lot of people, both in this podcast and otherwise, about what makes art song different from opera. Now, I have to put in for myself here, whenever people ask me what I do for a living, I usually say I'm an opera singer. 
Fact of the matter is that's not entirely true. I haven't actually sung in an opera since 2015 and it's, we are pretty well into 2021 now. But that's what people associate with classical singing and what I do, which is primarily art song recitals and concert work. But I tell people I'm an opera singer so that they have a point of reference. But now you, dear listener, will know otherwise. So I think it's important to talk about the difference here between art song and opera. And I'm sure you have an idea of what that means because you've been listening, hopefully, to this podcast. So let's talk a little bit about scope of art song versus scope of opera. So when you go to the opera, you are expecting to have a grand spectacle. Now, that doesn't always happen. I will admit, sometimes you go see an opera in a black box theater or... I saw a really amazing production of Dialogues of the Carmelites at the Met that was very sparse, but it was still a representation of a story that didn't necessarily invite me in so much as it was being told at me. Similarly to going to see a movie in the movie theater, you are essentially being performed at. There is a world being represented to you in a larger than life way. And that's opera. You have grand, extended gestures of love and death. Sometimes it takes characters over 20 minutes to die in an opera while singing high notes. To me, that just seems a little unreasonable, at least when it comes to real life. But it's important to recognize that that is a much grander, larger-than-life expression of music. That's one part of it. Now let's talk about the flip side of that, when you have intimacy. Now that's not to say opera can't, can't be intimate. We definitely know that there are love scenes and all this other stuff in opera. There is represented intimacy. But what I'm talking about here, and I've said it before, is it's this idea of invitational performance. So when I'm singing an art song recital, Even though the song I'm singing, I may not have a direct personal experience or tie to, I am inviting those who come into my performance, into the world that I am creating, for them to inhabit. I am trying, anyway, to allow the audience to not just listen, but to participate and put their own experience into my performance and into the stories that I tell. And that is a huge difference. That creates a level of connection between the performer and the audience that does not exist in opera. In opera, the performer really is looking across the stage at someone else to tell the story. In art song, I am looking at you to share an experience. You, as the audience, are just as vital to that performance as I am. And I think that's something that has really drawn me to art song, is that level of connection that you have with the people who share that experience with you. It's very special. That's not to say that art song can't be on a grand scale. I mean, You listen to any of Strauss's orchestrated art songs and you know that you have Jesse Norman standing on a stage in front of 150 instrumentalists and it's amazing. It's a spectacle. But it's just you and her when you listen. I also think it's worth mentioning that there is also kind of a textual difference between opera and art song that we need to address in that opera really Well, sometimes, 
but really should have opportunities to propel drama forward. And then there are moments for reflection. Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, for example, you have a bunch of recits between characters, dialogue, all that stuff that propel the drama forward, propel the story forward. And then you have arias, which are moments for emotional reflection or contemplation. So in opera, you have these devices which are meant to propel the drama forward. But in art song, you have all of that sort of rolled up into one thing. Sometimes you have characters talking to each other. Sometimes it's just the poet reflecting on their life. Sometimes it's a song of inexpressible loss or gravity defying love or just really normal everyday moments. Some of them have their own drama within that propel a story forward and some of them seem as though they're suspended in time. It's really very flexible and malleable in that way. I guess the last thing that I really want to talk about now that I've dissected art song a bit and hopefully given you a few things to think about. The last question is, is what is our duty, both you and me, to keep art song alive and relevant? I think that a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the art form hear art song and are kind of turned off. It sounds a little stuffy. It sounds a little unapproachable. It sounds structured and boring. Something that people can't really understand if they aren't already familiar with it. And I think that that's something to think about. How do we keep it alive and relevant? That's not to say that the musical structures or the approach has to change at all. In all the art songs I've sung, the, the stories are certainly as relevant now as they were 200 years ago when they were being written. They're absolutely still relevant. Yes, they might be in German or French and someone might not speak German or French. It happens. But I think it's worth thinking about our duty to keeping our stories alive. I do think that art song is more relevant now than it ever has been, especially now that we're in the midst of a global pandemic and we all need a way to creatively share our stories with other people who want to be connected with us. It doesn't have to be technically perfect. It doesn't have to be Mozartian level structure and form. It just has to be true and honest and connecting. And I think more than ever, we have a responsibility to keep that alive. Because what else do we have if we don't have our stories? So I guess the last question I will leave you with is why art song? I hope that this episode of the podcast has given you some things to think about and it has inspired you to seek out art song in your own life because it allows you to experience the world and other people's stories in a way that really is so beautiful and so unique and so intimate and special. 